Over the last decade, China's economy has been growing, and the incomes of many Chinese people have gone up. Recently, a Christian worker named Dory talked with several Chinese believers who've experienced greater economic freedom. They all said, pray for us because basically we're getting distracted by our own wealth. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, look at the American church. You know, we've already gone through that. We've passed that. We're, we're there. And, I, you know, they look at us and they know that. And they don't want, they want to retain all the lessons they've learned through the years of hardship. And they don't want to be mediocre Christians. They want to be faithful, firm, triumphant, overcoming Christians and not get distracted by wealth. Almost, I think everyone we talked to mentioned that. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're going to be talking about the nation of China today uh, with one of my co-workers who just returned from visiting Christians there, uh, including some Christians. She literally was scheduled to meet with some Christians, and they got arrested before she got there to meet with them. So uh, some very fresh persecution stories from China. Uh, our guest is Dory. I won't use a last name. Dory, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Dory is a part of our staff. She is involved in creating the newsletter every month that goes out. Uh, she has quite an international family. We won't go into a lot of detail, but uh, let's start out just when you go, what, what's your purpose? What are you trying to do when you go to a place like China? That's a good question. I'm not a field worker, so I'm not involved in that work all the time. I'm, um, like you said, my primary responsibility is with the newsletter, so communications. And I sort of see my role as um, looking at our persecuted brothers and sisters and trying to um, interpret their story in a way that our Western readers can understand what's going on with them and put that in words that they can understand. So kind of bridging the gap there. And um, when we were thinking about uh, preparing a newsletter for this year, we were wanted to talk about uh, prisoners, um, Christian prisoners held for their faith. And in reality, that's something that is not as common today as it used to be. Um, I know we've had discussions about this here, about PrisonerAlert.com, which is a really neat website where our Readers here can connect with their family overseas through just encouraging letters. Um, but we just don't have as many candidates these days because Muslim countries tend to, um, you know, beat up, persecute, imprison without a legal system um, the Christians when they um, have a problem with them, whereas it's really the communist countries that tend to more imprison Christians. There are fewer and fewer communist countries these days. That's just the way it's going. Yeah. So, And in, in Muslim countries, even if they are in prison, sometimes we can't publicize them. Oh. Uh, because that makes life more difficult for them instead of easier. Like Iran, for example. Yeah, exactly. We know that there's at least 40 known, and probably more, um, Christians that are in prison right now in the nation of Iran that we can't talk about. Yeah, um, <laughs> which makes our jobs a little more complex. <laughs> yep. And so in China, um, there are many believers who are in prison. M m few of them are human rights lawyers who've been advocating for churches or Christians who are um, having problems with the government. And we're supporting a lot of their families and helping them in ways that we can. One thing that many believers said during this trip was that it's a sensitive time in China right now. And I think that they're referring to the new government and how the new government perceives Christianity. Nobody would say that directly, but several people 
use that same word. It's a sensitive time. So when we're talking today, we're also just going to be careful about what we talk about. And the, one, the cases that I'll mention will be people that gave permission for us to talk about them. And I think that's an important thing. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had Bob Fu from the China Aid Association here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He talked a little bit about that, how the government, uh, there's a new leader in charge. There's new interpretations of, of the religious law. Uh, there's, you know, different parts of China. They're now putting in some new frameworks and new restrictions. Um, when you go and sit down, and I know on this trip, you met with several families where dad or mom, husband or wife is in prison right now. Mm -hmm. what, what do you take into a meeting like that emotionally and spiritually when you know, hey, I'm going to sit down with this person, their spouse is in jail. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you prepare yourself to go into that situation? I think one of the things that has really become more apparent to me is just our crucial role in encouragement as VOM workers. I know that so many of our readers and supporters would love to be there and hug people and hold their hand, but they just can't. And as the, for the field workers especially, but me too, when I'm representing VOM, that's my role. I'm standing in for all those people here in America who love their brothers and sisters and who would like to encourage them. Uh, and I, you know, I travel as well and, and just recently was overseas and had somebody say, even if you came and just sat down and drank tea with us, mm -hmm. that would be important. Yep. Uh, you know, without asking any questions, without what you're going to say when you get back home, if you just came here and drank tea and said, I'm a Christian too, we're here with you, that would be important. So I think I, I like the fact that mm -hmm. you brought that out. And the other part that you brought out is that we represent so many thousands, people who listen to this broadcast, people who read our newsletter, who are praying and would love to be there, mm -hmm. uh, we get to go as kind of their their hands to wrap somebody and hold their hand and pat them on the back and encourage them. Uh, what a what a sacred privilege that is for us. And for me, you know, we're not going, even though I'm going to ask story, questions about their story, I'm not going really as a journalist. That's part of it. Yes, I want to carry their stories back. I want to tell it. But I'm not just there to get the story. I'm there to be an emissary, to be part of it. Um, and, and, and even, I don't, there's not even an element of sitting there preaching at them. Just sit there, like you said, just have tea, just have coffee, just share noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Good noodles. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so tell us about uh, some of the families. I, again, I know you met families where spouse, mom, dad is in prison right now. What are some of their stories and how are they responding? Because you know, I think if my wife got arrested, it would be very easy to be discouraged and think, Lord, you know, what are you doing? Why is my wife in jail? Overall, in fact, there was nobody that said, oh, no, why are they in jail? You know, why are they being persecuted? Believers in China, even today with, you know, a strong economy and just a very different China than 20 years ago, they still know that persecution is part of the package. And one thing I want to point out is that I still think we need to adjust our minds. When we say house church Christians in China, this doesn't mean a group of 10 people meeting in someone's living room. This is often um, 100, 200, 500 people meeting in a big building, um, maybe a church building, maybe in a factory building, maybe in an apartment building, but, you know, with pews, a pulpit, everything that we would think of as a church. It's just that they're not officially recognized by the government. And often um, gov the governments are very well aware of what they're doing. They're just allowing them to operate. And um, It's hard not to be aware. I mean, when you talk about oh, yeah. several hundred people right. gathering every single week, um, 
if, if you're paying attention, you're aware of what's going on. Yep. And one of the stories that we'll get to later, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see the repercussions of what happens when the government sees you as getting too big. But um, you asked me about meeting with the family, so I wanted to get to that. Um, <laughs> I uh, met with several families, like you, and none of them were surprised at what had happened. All of them said persecution is part of being a Christian, and they just accepted that. Now, it's still hard to be a single spouse when your spouse goes away. Um, there was one woman who actually had had her story published uh, on the internet and she was really hesitant to to meet with us or to have her face shown or anything but in again in those cases it's just a chance to encourage her and say even though uh, we can't tell specifically who you are there are people who are going to be praying for you and so maybe just right now as you're listening to us pray for this woman who is taking care of two kids while her husband is in prison and I want to bring out something that that your story illustrates, and people need to understand about Voice of the Martyrs. If if we meet somebody like that and they say, hey, it's too sensitive right now, you can't tell my story, we don't. Right. We don't put them in the newsletter. We don't put them on persecution.com. Um, we just say, okay, we're going to pray for you, uh, and like you did just there. We can't tell you any details, but hey, pray for this lady who's going through what's really a hard time. Mm-hmm. Another guy that I met with is somebody that we've written about in the newsletter before, and when we first heard about his case about two years ago, it really kind of stuck with me because his kids are the same age as my kids. They're five years old and three years old now. At the time their mom was arrested, they were three and one. And just to think about this poor dad, and um, he's suddenly responsible for two little kids. Um, in fact, he's a pastor, and he always expected that it would be him that would have to go to prison. Wow. They never thought it would be her, um, and that just really threw them off when when she was arrested he said he had to learn you know how to cook how to take care of them how to put them to bed all those things that typically mom would yeah, do yeah and one and three those are <laughs> like 24 hour a day take care of them exactly <laughs> yep and for me it was just really fun you know i was kind of missing my kids and we're having dinner with them and um i can't speak Chinese, but I could hear the dad telling the kids, eat your vegetables. I knew that's what he was saying. <laughs> and I could see that in the past two years, he's developed in that role. And, you know, he's he's doing well. He's uh-huh. not struggling. Um, he's adapted and really cute to see him walking down the street, holding the little three-year-old's hand and just taking care of him. And he really, um, I don't want to, even though I, I resonate with how hard it would be to take care of the children, he is is triumphant in the fact, you know, he is um, happy to be able to suffer for Christ, and um, he is also looking forward to the fact that his wife is supposed to get out in a month. We're speaking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dory. She's a part of our newsletter team here at the Voice of the Martyrs and has just returned from China. It's so interesting, the mindset that you talk about that, well, of course we're going to be persecuted. We're mm-hmm. following Jesus. It's such a different mindset than what typically the American mindset is of, you know, if something bad happens to us, well, you know, we got to pray more so that this will stop happening. And but they and like you say, from the very first time they come to Christ, they know, well, of course, we're going to be persecuted. Mm-hmm. It just is. It's so hard for us to put ourselves in that position. When we were going to go to China, I heard about this church that's been having a lot of problems over the past uh, two years about. And uh, one of the co-pastors, a third generation Christian, and his father spent significant amount of time in prison in the 80s and 90s. And I wanted to ask him, you know, you saw this happening. So why did you choose to become a pastor? (laughs) Why would you be a pastor after your dad was a pastor and had to go to jail for years and years? Exactly. Um, Well, you mentioned this in the intro, but right before 
before we got there, just about two weeks, he was arrested and uh, put in prison. They are called the Livingstone Church. I believe they were founded in 2009 by these two pastors, one of whom was the, the guy who was arrested. He goes by Yang Hua. Started in 2009. It was small at the time, you know, 20 members probably, and has just grown in these five or six years they're now up to 400 members of the church, and what the church leadership told us is maybe there were at the peak about 700 people attending the church every weekend. Um, they so were... again, this is not something that's going to happen without anybody noticing. No. When, when you get 700 people coming together, that's, you know, you're going to be discovered. And the church was really intentional about being really open about what they were doing. They tried always to register their activities with the government, but they refused to join the Three Self Church, which is the state-run uh, church. They feel like that is just too much of a compromise to bring your church under the government's auspices. But in the end, that's what the government has really been pressuring them to do. So as they've grown in the past year, the government's taking notice. And one thing they've been really been pressuring the church leadership to do is to join the Three Self Church to the point where the, the church members that I met with just now told me that probably at least 40% of the members of the church have been personally visited by communist authorities telling them, you should join the Three Self Church, or you should stop going to this church wow. for sure. Um, so you're in your house, and think about this from an American perspective. You're in your house, there's a knock at the door. Yep. Uh, it's somebody with a government ID, and he says, you know, we don't really like the church that you're going to. You should join this church mm -hmm. over here. Mm -hmm. uh, just for us as Americans, just kind of put yourself in that position and imagine how you would respond to that. Forty percent of the people that are part of this church had that visit. They yep. came to the door. They wanted them to join the Three Self Church. Or they showed up at your workplace. Oh, even they better. They talked to your boss, and then they talked to wow. you. Wow. So, you know, this big culture of shame and mm -hmm. saving face, that was a big thing. Um, and, you know, shamed a lot of people into stopping stop going to church. The other thing that's happened to that church in the past year, they had, I want to say it was around $900,000 in the bank, um, tithes and offerings. That's frozen. They haven't had access to it for about wow. a year. One of the catalysts kind of of the problems against them was that when they, they realized they've gotten so big, they needed a space that they could count on to meet in. Um, they purchased uh, one floor on a high-rise building to be their church building, and they requested permission. Um, they got it. They got everything officially that they could do, short of registering as a three-self church, and um, they were meeting there. And just in the last few months, authorities showed up, said this is an illegal church. They sealed the church. They um, took away the deed. They put a note on the door, which we have photos of, that says this is an illegal church. Stay away, basically. Um, and so they don't have, they've lost that asset that they owned as a church, too. Um, the, the church members who were involved in the financial transactions have had all sorts of problems against them as well. So, so how the, the people that you met with that were in leadership of this church, how are they responding to that? <laughs> Again, they just kind of roll with it. They say this is part of the package. None of them seemed fearful. They they, they are cautious because they don't want to create more problems, but not um, overly cautious. They are willing to meet with us. They are willing to be photographed. They were willing to share their names. And um, they really don't think that they're doing anything wrong. Right. Um, and that they've almost bent over backwards trying to do it all right. So um, 
they are just talking about how they're um, adjusting. So now how do we meet? And now how do we train our leaders? And now how do we uh, encourage people in the church? And this was the most compelling thing to me. I met with um, the man who was arrested, uh, Yang Hua's wife. She's probably about my age. She has a five-year-old son. Um, her husband's gone for who knows how long. And I said to her, are you worried about your husband? And she said, without, without a beat, no, I'm not thinking about him. I'm worried about the church. I'm worried about people leaving the church and falling away from Christ because of what's happened. And her situation or his situation, they don't really know what... I mean, he was taken initially just for 10 days, and then it sort of stretched out. How did, how did that go? Um, yeah, he was arrested in December, uh, held for 10 days, which is kind of— um, Bob Fu would know the yeah. details of this. It, it's a criminal— Anybody can be held on—I mm-hmm. think they call it administrative detention, yep. and anybody in China can be held for up to 15 days without a trial, without any formal charges, without any kind of you know lawyer, any of that. They can just snatch you up for 15 days. So that was— First time, 10 days. Yep. At the end of that 10 days, they gave him another 10 days. So those are back to back. And then at the end of that 10 days, his wife went. She was going to pick him up from the police station. And when she got there, instead of, uh, you know, walking in, signing the papers, walking out with him, she saw him being led out to another police car with a black hood over his face and kind of shoved in the car and just driven off. And that was the last time she's seen him. She doesn't even know where he is right now. And you would think anybody there putting a black hood over their head, that's not a good, nothing good is going to happen after that. That's right. So they have a lawyer um, who's a well-versed uh, in these sorts of cases. And when we asked her, I don't know what's happened in, in the week or so since, but the lawyer hadn't even been allowed to see um her husband yet so they were still keeping him under wraps um one thing that i should mention there was another problem for this church is that when they heard of other churches that were having legal problems or problems with the government they often sent aid whether that meant hiring them a lawyer or physical aid or so they were the church that was helping other churches <laughs> they were the troublemakers in, in the eyes of the chinese how, government mm-hmm, they're right. they're saying yeah offering help what an example though of christian fellowship if one part of the body suffers we all suffer with it well if you're right there, why wouldn't you reach out and help? But obviously that has a cost mm-hmm. that goes along with it. Yep. The people in the church, though, it seems like, I mean, the pastor's wife is worried that people will fall away, but it seems like they're staying strong. Many are. Um, some people have stayed away. And so I think they've dropped down to three or four hundred now. Um official regular members um so some are discouraged but the the vast majority they've they've learned that this is part of the deal and they're staying strong we'll see what happens you know as this unfolds and goes on um and it's going to be difficult if you're just not allowed to go to church Um, right though there is another very similar case in beijing that we i don't know if bob talked about this the shawang church similar situation where the church was really big and active and then the government cracked down took away their meeting space and um they are actually broken up into smaller groups of about 40 people that meet throughout the city of Beijing. So it was a thousand-member congregation, and whatever the remnant is that's left of those, they're still meeting. It's just right. that they can't all meet it's together. It's a different, mm-hmm. 
different uh, method of meeting together, but still meeting together, still encouraging each other, hopefully still growing. Yeah, and we spoke to one of the the lay leaders from that church, and his one desire was that they'd be able to come back together as a church because he thinks they are better all together than broken up. But I just, they're so faithful, you know? (laughs) For us, if it snows. Because that's been like three years (laughs) ago. I mean, maybe even longer. longer. 2011, I think. So they've been... Mm -hmm basically meeting in small groups because they've been shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as you say, faithfully meeting together and continuing the work. And for us, when it snows, everyone stays home from (laughs) church, you know? (laughs) We don't like snow. We don't like driving in the snow. What what were some of the things that the testimonies or the people you met that you feel like have stuck with you and, and that that you grab a lesson or a, a truth from them and incorporate that into your own spiritual walk? I think maybe there's just the issue of faithfulness, um, because towards the end of our visit, we met with a couple who are foreigners who are serving there and um, kind of being the light of Jesus in a really dark region in a city where there are very few Christian workers, um, where there are very few Christians. And they've been there for 12 years, and they are so faithful. It's not been an easy road for them, but they feel like God has put them there and and wants them there even as they're struggling. Uh, They came with a few other teammates to do this work, and in the 12 years since, all the teammates have left. Um, They're trying to recruit more people become a year or two and then leave it's just a really hard place to serve and to live and and yet they're still there and um we that was another time where it was just a blessing for me to be able to sit there and in this case really hold the wife's hand and put an arm around her when she was crying and encourage her she's got two kids that they grew up in china for the most part they're now back at college and she worries about them she's a mom they struggle financially they don't have the support that they need necessarily. Um, they they have they because they're connected to various house churches in the region. They know really difficult stories of people that um, there's just no solution for them. And uh, this couple is kind of bearing that burden of walking along the road with these people, but not really being able to do anything about it. Um, and so I think it was. A blessing for them to be able to share those things openly with people mm-hmm. they could trust and and just cry with them. You know, we even, no amount of money could solve some of these problems. So, you know, there's nothing really that we can do, but um, just to pray with them and to keep on praying for them. That's often in our work, that's the hardest thing is sometimes these problems are really just unsolvable, except for the grace right. of God. Uh, from, a, from an earthly perspective, mm-hmm. uh, but I think about, you know, the, the ministry of tears <laughs> when you go and you you hear someone's heart and you cry with them and you hold their hand and you drink tea and you just say, hey, we don't have any answers, but we can pray with you. We can lift you up. Mm-hmm. Um, Twelve years is a long time in a in a really tough ministry environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let me tell you something neat about that, though. The situation: um, our worker brought a phone that he was going to give to um, another person that needed it. Well, uh, in the interim, that person got a phone. So our worker had this phone in his pocket or backpack or whatever, and we kind of forgot about it. We were meeting with this couple to see if there was any way we could partner with them. They don't really need that so much, but they just need that that fellowship. Um, towards the end, all of a sudden, my my colleague thought, oh, I wonder if he could use a phone. He pulls it out. The man just starts bawling. <laughs> 
oh, what happened? <laughs> well, he'd been praying for a phone. Wow. His, I don't know what was wrong with his, but it wasn't working. And um, this phone was exactly what he wanted and exactly what he needed. And just a simple gesture of here's a phone that you can have that will work in China and help you with your work. And he was, he was um, quite emotional. That's pretty cool when you sense like, hey, you know, God's clearly been organizing and orchestrating our footsteps. Yep. And like I mentioned that their kids are way in college, and I think it was another kind of God-ordained thing where I was there during this meeting because it wasn't, you know, a, a journalism meeting. It wasn't right. something that we're going to have stories to share from. But I grew up as an MK at, with missionary parents on the field and had that experience. And she's a missionary mom worrying about her kids. So we had quite a good time just talking about that. And she was asking me about transitioning and all the worries that she has for her kids. And I could just tell her, you know, here's what I went through and here's how it was for me and, you you know, they're going to be okay. And I survived. <laughs> right. Yep. And I, it, it makes you a unique person. And I think that they can be proud of that. And so just for me to meet her was just the perfect connection that she needed right then. And and for me, it was a huge blessing. Like God allowed me to be raised the way I was. And I am so happy to turn that around and give it away yeah. to other people. Dory, I know one of the things for you personally on your trip to China was to visit uh, the grave of a martyr, but not not just a martyr, but a martyr that actually is in your family tree. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and what it meant to go and see that. So um, John and Betty Stam are my great, great aunt and uncle. And it's something that I kind of grown up knowing about. Oh, yeah, your aunt and uncle were martyred in China. Okay, well, then, you know, I've been working at Vion for a long time. I, I realized later that they're kind of famous and well-known for being <laughs> martyred in China. Um, and it's always been in the back of my mind how neat it would be if I got to go to China to go and see where they were killed and where um, they were buried. So when we decided that we had time, we decided we were going to look into it. Um, it became a really neat uh, connection because we connected with a house church there in that region that is an independent house church. It's not connected to any of the five main house church groups in China. Um, And so we haven't had a previous relationship with them. This connection, spending the day with them there now is going to be something that we can carry on into the future. So that's really neat. That's very cool. Um, But they picked us up. They they were so excited. You are a relative of John Stem. That's how they say it. (laughs) And um, so they drove me out to this hospital where um, a missionary had established it in the probably, I don't know if it was established, let's say 20s or 30s. Um, They were killed in 1934. So they were at their mission station in 1934. The communist soldiers came in, took them out of the station. Um, Their daughter was uh, months old or weeks old. She was an infant. Marched them 12 miles away let them stay the night, the next morning beheaded them. And um, it's an incredible story. I hope you can go read it because there's a lot of things where an old man stands up and says, I'll be killed in place of the daughter. And um, a Christian man in the the village where they were taken says, don't kill them. And and then he gets killed because they find out that he's a Christian. Um, So anyway, they, uh, after they were killed, the believers in the region took them back to this hospital where the missionary, um, that the missionary had established. And that's where they were buried. Now, during the cultural revolution, there was a grave marker there, and the grave marker had the words of um, 
Philippians 1.21. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So I was hoping to find that, but I learned that during the Cultural Revolution that that had all been destroyed. What was cool, though, is these local Chinese believers knew right where the, the, the former cemetery had been. Uh-huh. And the hospital's not out in a rural area. It's a big city, and, and the one initial hospital building is now surrounded by a whole medical complex. But right in the middle of that, there's this little kind of park area, which is where the former cemetery was. It's not really marked, but they know where it is, and so they could take me there and be like, well, your relatives are probably buried here. And for me, the intersection was that they died here trying to bring the gospel to China, and they are here, house church believers, faithful to God, not wanting the government to control their religious life, and um, they're basically the fruit of Uh that effort. So... um, it was really cool. We spent the whole day with them. They took us to their church. They fed us a meal. Um, they were just so generous and loving. So it just is fascinating to me that that John and Betty Stam lay down their lives in China. All these years later, their grand, 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 great niece yeah. is working at Voice of the Martyrs, mm-hmm. goes back to China mm-hmm. to meet with Christians. Like you say, some of the fruit of their work, still there, still in that region, still serving the Lord. Uh, what a what a testimony of God's faithfulness. And that region actually has one of the highest percentages of Christians in China. And it's because that's where Western missionaries started. Amazing. Yep. Dory, thank you for being a part of Voice of the Martyrs Radio today. Thank you for sharing your stories from your visit to China. Uh, it's been great to be with you. Yeah, thank you. My privilege. If you missed any of our conversation with Dory, you can hear the entire program on our website, vomradio.com. There are archives of our past programs. There's also a link there to subscribe to the VOM Radio podcast. And there's ways that you can get involved to pray for and support persecuted believers around the world. That web address is vomradio.net. Next week, we're going to hear from Brother Lance from Turkey. I hope you'll come back and join us here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.